the House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome to what I'm going to call a special edition of Capital Ideas. I say that because today's conversation is with House Majority Leader Joe Fitzgibbon. He'd be a good catch any time of the year, but what's truly special is that Joe gave us a few minutes out of his day during House of Origin Cutoff Week here in Olympia. House of Origin Cutoff Week is the deadline for bills originating in the House or Senate to be voted on in the policy committees they were assigned to. There's another deadline for budget-related bills, but we're not there yet. Policy cutoff week is one of the busiest times in any legislative session, and getting the majority leader in front of the Capital Ideas microphone was quite a coup. Joe lives in West Seattle and was first elected by his neighbors in the 34th District in 2010. He's been here ever since in a variety of roles, and this is his first session as majority leader. We'll talk about that new job and several other things in the next 20 minutes or so, and I hope you'll stick around. Before we start, I need to mention that we call this Capital Ideas because it's the podcast where members of the majority Democrats in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. We recorded this conversation on Tuesday, February 14th, 2023, and I'll play it for you now. Welcome to Capital Ideas. House Majority Leader Joe Fitzgibbon of the 34th Legislative District in Washington State. I appreciate you taking a little bit of time here in cutoff week to talk to people on Capital Ideas. Thanks, Dan. Look forward to it. You're the majority leader. That's a new hat for you. For several years, I think since the mid-teens, you were the yeah. leader of the Environment and Energy Committee, which had some pretty important things that I know I'm going to want to talk to you about including the Climate Commitment Act. But you're now the majority leader, and that's a real different role to be in. How's it working out? You've had uh, not too long in that role. It's a big new job that I'm stepping into this year. Um, I had a great nine years as chair of the House Environment and Energy Committee, and I'm really proud of so much of the work that we got done during that time. But it felt like a good time to step into a new role. It felt like on the heels of passage of really a nation-leading package of bills to fight climate change, it was a good time for me to step into a new role and zoom out a little bit. Rather than being so narrowly focused on on climate change and protecting our environment and our air and water, to think, you know, how can I use skills and experiences that I learned as a committee chair to help help our whole democratic agenda to deal with our housing shortage, to deal with our workforce problems, to uh, put us on path to have a sustainable state budget and make sure that our state is the best place to live that it can be. Uh, you know, it, it felt like the right time to, to try to do that. And I'm, I'm really grateful to my colleagues for trusting me with the, with this new job. Well, I think it is a, a pretty reasonable transition to be making. Even though you're a young man, you are a veteran around here. You've been in this place for 12. This is your 13th year, I 13th guess. 13th year. That's a pretty good yeah. run as a state representative. Tell me one thing about being majority leader now that has sort of surprised you or yeah. maybe knocked you back on your heels. Yeah. 
a few things that come to mind. You know, I, I knew during my previous 12 years when Representative Sullivan was the majority leader, I knew that he was the hardest working guy at the Capitol. And uh, I'm appreciating that even more now when I sort of realize how much there is to do in this job and how many hours that that, that keeps me here at the Capitol. It's it's great. It's all it's all good and rewarding and important work. But but yeah, I you know I appreciate Pat more than ever as I see how much we have to get done. You know, the operating budget and working with the appropriations committee to develop our operating budget is a huge task, and uh, and that takes up a, a lot of my time as I work to support that team and help make sure that uh, that we're making responsible choices that that support the needs of the people in our state and keep our budget sustainable in the long run. Um, that is probably the single thing that is taking up the most of my time now. You know, I also find uh, one of one of my responsibilities as majority leader is to refer bills to committees. And that is not as straightforward as it might sound. There's a lot of times that a bill really straddles two different committees, topic areas, or even three or four or five committees, topic areas, but you have to just pick one. And uh, so I, I find that there's a lot of thought that goes into that decision, not just by me, but by a whole team of really super qualified attorneys who look at every bill and and make a recommendation around which committee's jurisdiction it fits into but a lot of things that Pat Sullivan made look easy I'm now realizing are you know are not easy <laughs> and uh, and I hope that they they start to feel easy um, the longer I, I do this new job that seems to be extremely nuanced not only because of the content of the bill and how it matches up with the name and the portfolio of a committee but also the personalities of the people involved seems like that could be a real balancing act. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. I think the thing that I try to reflect back to people, you know, sometimes a member or an advocacy group will ask that a certain bill be referred to a certain committee. We play it by the books. If the bill really clearly belongs in a certain committee, part of my job is to not be subjected to pressure to send it somewhere else. Sometimes that means people are a little bit unhappy with the decisions and that just goes with the territory. You can't make everybody happy all the time. And that's, you know, one of the lessons of leadership. But we're pretty by the books about those bill referrals. Sometimes there is some judgment involved, especially if there's more than one committee in which a bill logically could fit. But when it's a clear-cut referral, then we adhere to the, the jurisdiction of the committee and uh, the sections of law that the bill amends and, uh, and send it to the place that it most belongs. Back to the operating budget. As chair of your committee for so long, many of the bills that you worked on and helped to shepherd through to become law had to do with the budget. Um, They spent money out of the state budget. But now the role of being the leadership representative, I think, on the budget team goes with the territory of being the majority leader. How much have you had to study to get up to speed on that? Because that involves a whole lot more things than climate and energy. Yeah, I definitely feel like in those operating budget development meetings, I'm just learning constantly. In some of the same ways that a freshman legislator feels like they're drinking from a fire hose, I feel like I'm a freshman member of the budget team and Representative Ormsby, the chair of appropriations, and then the three vice chairs, Representatives Macri, Gregerson, and Bergquist. They've they've all done this before, and so they have a little bit more fluency in the subject matter, and I definitely am the new kid on the block, and I'm just trying to get up to speed on things that I knew about at a very high level, like, you know, K-12 education, um, prototypical school model or uh, you know behavioral health and the different ways in which we provide 
access to behavioral health services for people across our state. Things that I knew about only at the highest level. Now I'm going through the the work of, of becoming a little bit more familiar with what are the choices that we make there in the operating budget and how do they impact people in our state. I know that this is it's going to be more than one session for me to learn those things, but I absolutely have the drinking from a fire hose. You know, it's a good problem to have, um, but that's the that's the problem I'm, I'm working through right now is really getting up to speed about all the parts of the operating budget that I, you know, wasn't deep in the weeds on before. Let's jump back to the Climate Commitment Act. That was sort of a banner bill to have passed. I know that it was a culmination of several years' work on your part to get the state on a glide path towards zero carbon. It's at the very beginning, but I know that things are already being put into place that will keep Washington as a leader in clean energy. Well, we're definitely one of the national leaders. We have, I would compare our policy framework for fighting climate change favorably to, to any state in the country, including California. The Climate Commitment Act just took effect January 1st of this year, along with a couple other big climate laws, including the Clean Fuel Standard, which I sponsored and championed for many years, and the Zero Emission Vehicle Standard. So this is a big moment in time as, you know, for the last month and a half is the time in which those big laws have been in effect. With any big new law, and this is certainly true with the Climate Commitment Act, you find out things after it takes effect that you didn't necessarily anticipate while you were working a bill through the legislative process. I think this is true with any big, complicated piece of legislation. We certainly have had some of those. There have been a couple um, surprises as the law took effect that we may need to go deal with legislatively, either this session or in a future session, or that um, the state agencies implementing the law, like the Department of Ecology, will have to address. Overall, I think, you know, for the pretty quick turnaround that we asked our state agencies to to stand up this program, I think they did an incredible job. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not still some some lessons learned. You know, a couple of the areas that we're struggling with is how to administer a couple of the exemptions under the act. So the, the act, for example, exempted fuels used for agricultural purposes, uh, exempted fuels used for maritime or aviation purposes. And it turns out it's pretty complex in the fuel supply chains from an oil refiner on down to the end user to track well, is this being used for an agricultural purpose or something else? Uh, and so just administratively, there's a speed bump that we didn't see coming and that we're going to have to try to wrestle with. Let me ask you a question that I like to ask lawmakers because I think lots of people find it interesting, which is how did you get here? What led you from being you know, a 15-year-old mm-hmm. kid at some mm-hmm. point who didn't know what he was going to be doing to being the majority leader of the Washington State House of Representatives? Yeah, it's, it's fun to reflect back on that journey. I was always somebody who really cared about the natural environment, just as long as I can remember. Loved being outside, loved animals. And then, you know, as I um, sort of grew up, realized the degree to which the natural environment was under threat um, and the ways in which, you know, human activity was degrading our environment in ways that future generations might not have the same kinds of opportunities to enjoy the outdoors or to, you know, to experience wildlife as uh, as I did uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s. And that really became even more focused on specifically the threat of climate change probably around when I was in college and realized how far we had to go in order to turn around the the, the trajectory we were on in terms of, of climate change and what that could mean for current and future generations. So I was really motivated by those issues, which led me to kind of see politics, um, particularly um, state and local politics, 
as the arena in which I thought I could have the biggest impact on on those issues. National politics seemed like, you know, you're just a drop in the ocean and pretty tough to make an impact. You know, I thought about a few other career paths, but but really, you know, state and local government where I saw the best opportunities to, you know, to fight hard for things that you believe in and but also, you know, to work hard to solve problems. I started here in Olympia in the House of Representatives as a legislative assistant for uh, my predecessor, uh, then Representative Sharon Nelson, who went on to serve in the Senate and as Senate Majority Leader. She was an incredible mentor, an incredible leader, who was very supportive of, of, of me and my professional development. And after a few years working on her team when she ran for the Senate, I decided, you know, even as a, as a pretty young guy at the moment, I thought, you know, there was no time like the present to run for office and see if I could bring to bear some of that passion and try to focus it into into the ability to craft legislation that can make it through the process. I was very fortunate about what doors opened when they did, both you know getting hired with a you know incredible mentor and supportive boss to when the door opened for me to run for the house first place and then when the door opened for me to uh, to move into my role as uh, as house environment chair and then you know even recently to um, to run for majority leader. I definitely am a different legislator than I was, you know, when I showed up here 12 years ago. I've learned a lot of lessons, you know, some of them learned them the hard way about, you know, what it means to work with your colleagues, you know, what it means to work with people that you disagree with. Uh, I definitely, you know, started out in office thinking that, you know, swing for the fences, right? And, you know, uh, that, that, that that was how you got stuff done. And, uh, you know, I definitely have found over time that you, you're well served by getting to know the people who disagree with you and understanding what motivates them because you're going to disagree with them a lot of the time, but you don't disagree with anybody 100% of the time and you don't agree with everybody 100% of the time and learning how to appreciate what the person sitting across the table from you is trying to achieve is pretty pivotal and it takes some work to learn how to do that. And so I think that's the thing that I most learned during my time as a committee chair that I hope I can apply in my new job as majority leader. You could give some lessons to people in the other Washington. (laughs) I'll leave that to others, yeah. In addition to being the majority leader here, which is pretty much a full-time job for two or three people, I would think, you also have another job, which is being the state representative for the people of the 34th Legislative District. Your overall priorities this session involve developing the workforce in Washington State and finding a way to create more opportunities for affordable housing as well as keeping an eye on climate change and the environment. But how about some specific things in your district? Are they the same? Obviously, the people there must share some of your priorities or they wouldn't have sent you here. But what else are you doing as a representative of one district? I think those big priorities that we have as a caucus and that I have as majority leader very much manifest themselves in specific ways back home in the 34th district. For example, I represent Vashon Island, which... uh, There's no bridges to Vashon. You have to take a ferry to get there. And the ferry system, I think, is one of the most acute examples of ways in which the workforce shortage has impacted people in our state. The ferries have to have pretty, they have to meet really strict Coast Guard crewing minimums in order to sail. And if they're one person below those uh, staffing minimums, the ferry doesn't sail and people on Vashon are stuck there, or they're maybe stuck on the mainland trying to get home at the end of the day. The workforce shortages experienced by the ferry system, particularly, which you know were really accelerated when a lot of people left the workforce during COVID-19 pandemic, I think that's one of the most visible ways in which that workforce shortage has impacted people in our state. Um, and it's not just people on Vashon, it's people throughout 
central Puget Sound who rely on the ferry system to get to and from work, to and from school, to, you know, to visit family. So, you know, there's a really great example of somewhere where addressing the workforce shortage doesn't just mean, you know, more people are working. It also means people on Vashon can get to their, you know, medical appointment in on First Hill in Seattle on time. So my district in redistricting changed a little bit. I grew up in Burien and used to live in Burien. I live in West Seattle now, but my district no longer includes, it only includes a, a little sliver of Burien. We traded Burien for uh, much of South Seattle, including Pioneer Square and South Downtown Seattle, which is an area I you know, know and love well, but I've never represented before until this year. You know, the homelessness crisis is in every corner of this state. It exists in rural Washington, including rural Vashon Island. It includes, you know, the homelessness is very visible in parts of West Seattle. But I don't know that there's a neighborhood of the state where homelessness is more visible and concentrated than Pioneer Square, uh, which has a lot of really incredible social service organizations, homeless shelters that are you know working to provide service, uh, you know, supportive housing services for some of the people most in need in our state. We are not going to be able to remedy the problems that that have pushed so many people into homelessness without tackling our housing shortage. I, I couldn't pick just one. I, you know, it'd be hard even to pick just 10 bills this year that I'm excited about on the housing shortage. It really is very powerful to see the kind of momentum that we have on building more homes for people so that we have fewer people who go through a difficult life circumstance, maybe lose a job, maybe a divorce, maybe have a, an addiction crisis that leads them to lose their home and, and to plunge into, um, into an unhoused situation. Um, we can really significantly reduce the number of people who um, who experience that incredibly traumatic life circumstance by fighting the housing shortage, making it easier to build a home, allowing property owners to build duplexes and triplexes on their land, allowing more lot splitting. Um, we have great bipartisanship on this issue, and it's because there really truly is no part of the state um, that isn't feeling the the pain of the housing shortage. But but, you know, when I am in Pioneer Square, I see and feel that pain really viscerally because of the number of people who are unhoused in that neighborhood. It does seem like there's more bipartisan agreement on this issue, maybe not the specifics of each given bill, but on the issue itself than, than we've seen in the legislature in several years for a particular issue this big. Yeah, it's very encouraging. I think people bring a lot of different kinds of experience to to this work. You know, we have some legislators who are landlords and we have some legislators who are advocates for tenants rights we have some legislators who have built homes we have some legislators who have been unhoused themselves and i think what you see this year is well you know we're not going to agree on everything there's a real clear agreement that this is a session that we have to go big on housing looking at the timer here i see that we've been talking here for over 20 minutes and i know that you have got five more appointments today before you can even think about going home. I want to get back to the biggest thing that the legislature is charged with in an odd-numbered year, which is creating a state operating budget on which you're a key member of the team. Do you want to wrap up here by talking a little bit about the operating budget? Maybe not specific line items, mm -hmm. but your outlook for 2023. Yeah, a couple of the things that we've heard are really high priorities um, in our communities that we want to make sure our needs that are met as we develop our operating budget. Special education, um, we hear very consistently from parents, from educators, from school districts that we need to do better for kids in our, our K-12 education system who have special needs. 
the behavioral health system for kids, for seniors, for people with substance use disorder, and honestly, for just about everybody, you know, who, who might need to access some behavioral health services at some point in their life. Those are a couple of the things that we know really need attention in our operating budget. And those are things that we very much will be prioritizing. The challenge is we're coming off of a couple of years of really expansive state budgets, particularly because we had so, uh, so much support from the federal government throughout COVID-19, which made our uh, made it really possible for us to address a lot of unmet needs in our state uh, around housing and homelessness, around uh, substance use disorder, around the behavioral health system, around K-12 education. But that federal money is is gone. We're not we're not getting the kind of support from Congress that we did for those couple of years. And so now we have to figure out how do we and can we sustain the level of effort that we were putting towards those core needs in our state? And what's it going to take for us to continue to work to fight the homelessness crisis, to fight uh, substance use disorder, to make sure our communities are safe? So that's probably the biggest challenge that I see us uh, grappling with legislatively this year in our operating budget is is, is how can we keep pace with the needs that all of our members are hearing from their constituents about. I wish you luck. I'm glad it's you and not me. We've been talking with State Representative and House Majority Leader Joe Fitzgibbon of the 34th Legislative District. Thank you, Joe, for taking a few minutes out of your day to come talk to us. Thank you, Dan. There you have yet another Capital Ideas. If you feel like these insights from Majority Leader Joe Fitzgibbon were worth your time, I invite you to subscribe to Capital Ideas. You can do that on all the major podcast aggregators, or you can visit the House Democratic Caucus website at housedemocrats.wa.gov and click on that media button up at the top of the page. Week in and week out, we'll bring you civil and informative conversations about your state government. What goes on here matters, and the more you know about it, the better you can make it work for you, your family, your business, and your fellow Washingtonians. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.